0: For me it's so easy to be ugly, I'm just a normal human, but like for a bad pair, like what an actor. <laughs> He's so willing to uglify himself, willing to be ugly. What oh so einstein
1: Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role
0: of science in some of our best-loved and most hated movies. I'm Abby. I'm Frida, and this week we are talking about Terry Gilliam's Twelve Monkeys, a good movie.
1: Yes, indeed, good movie. So, what up, Sam's with a silent T.
0: <laughs> you haven't forgotten, have you? <laughs> I do tend to forget everything. Do you know how I notice something when we've um, played quite a few episodes that I keep forgetting that we release an episode every two weeks? Do you notice that I keep do (laughs) (laughs) I go see you next week and you're like, not next week and I go, What do you mean? Oh, sorry, two weeks. (laughs) I do forget everything. Um, speaking of our our Sam's. Yes. There's one special Sam out there that I wanna talk about. I want to dedicate to special Sam out there, Pam, because Pam arrives with Sam. Pam. Pam is our very special friend who's actually a frontline worker battling COVID for y'all. Go, Dr. Pam. Go, Dr. Pam. Pam actually did visit our office when we were working together. Oh, my God, yes. I really enjoy introducing Pam as a clown doctor (laughs) because she's a comedian (laughs) and a doctor and – I have introduced her as a clown doctor before. Um, Anyway, she's working on the front lines. Go Pam. Apparently, she's listening to this podcast on her commute, which we are not worthy. We are not worthy. So, Pam, this is for you. Thank you, Pam. Yes.
1: Okay. So, let's get into it. Um, Frida, you picked the 1995 movie 12 Monkeys, a Mm -hmm. first watch for
0: both of us. Would you like to give us your summary of this movie? 12 Monkeys, directed by Terry Gilliam. 12 Monkeys is a 1995 American science fiction movie based on a short film called La Jetée. It tells the story of James Cole, a convicted felon in the year 2035, ages in the future, played with enormous sensitivity by Bruce Willis, who has frequent dreams of himself as a child, watching a man getting shot to death in an airport. Gee, I wonder if I'll come back to that later. (laughs) Cole is selected by a board of scientists to find the source of a deadly virus outbreak in 1996 that has killed nearly all of humanity, driving the remaining few underground for some reason. The virus is believed to have been released by a group called the Army of the Twelve Monkeys. But Cole is accidentally sent back to 1990 and his drooling time-traveller tales have him committed to an institution by psychiatrist Catherine Raleigh, Madeline Stowe, who proceeds to show us why women in movie land shouldn't be trusted as psychiatrists. (laughs) There he meets Jeffrey Goines, a complete lunatic, but also an environmentalist and animal rights activist, played spectacularly by Brad Pitt. Back in 2035, Cole discovers that Goines eventually became the founder of the Army of the Twelve Monkeys, a militant animal rights group. Traveling to the correct time, 1996, with a quick stopover in World War I, Cole kidnaps Riley, forcing her to help him, and she slowly becomes convinced by him and the two start to fall for one another. Although by this time in the movie, Cole is beginning to question his sanity. When Goines and Cole meet again, Goines tells Cole that it was him that gave him the idea of stealing a virus from his famous animal-experimenting virologist father. Back to 2035, The scientists congratulate a mentally fractured Cole before sending him back to complete the mission by getting a sample of the virus. Back to 1996, when Catherine has evidence of Cole's time travel, and the two decide that the virus outbreak is a foregone conclusion and decide to run away to the Florida Keys. On the way to the airport in disguise, they realize that the 12 monkeys have done nothing more than simply release all the animals from the zoo, locking up Goins' father instead, and laugh hysterically. At the airport, Catherine suddenly recognized Peters, the lab assistant from the virus laboratory and also a doomsday fanatic who had attended a talk of hers and realized that he was the one planning to release the virus all along. Cole fails to stop him and is shot to death in front of none other than eight-year-old Cole, closing the time loop, I guess. Peters, having already released the virus, sits down next to a woman we recognize as one of the scientists from 2035 and we can only guess the rest. I was totally along for the ride. Were you, Abby? (laughs) Along for the ride?
1: (sighs) (sighs) Okay. First, can I say, I love that this was a first time watch for both of us because Mm -hmm. I think that that's really cool. Because even though it was a movie that's, you know, we're 90s kids, so it was around then for us, but like, I think it's really cool to just sometimes both experience something brand new. Um, So since I didn't actually know what the movie was about, I legit watched it and just thought, oh God, we've accidentally done a pandemic movie.
0: Oh, that's funny.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh crap, we we didn't mean to do a pandemic movie.
0: (laughs) But in all fairness, out of all the pandemic movies that exist, it's the least pandemic-focused pandemic movie. It is. I do,
1: I have an internal struggle with this one. Okay. I did not enjoy this movie.
0: <gasps> but um, it's
1: not because it's a bad movie, right? This is the thing. This is okay. the thing about taste. Like, there's many things about the movie that I did enjoy and that I can applaud. Mm-hmm. But in saying that, I think that what I didn't entirely enjoy was, like, the feel of the movie. It's just not the way I want to feel when I'm watching a Drunk. movie. Drunk. I find it very difficult emotionally to watch like stories with vulnerability and and like just the claustrophobia of like being stuck somewhere you don't belong and you can't ever convince them to let you out. I mm. struggle with that. I just yeah, it's I didn't I didn't hate it. It's not mm. like I said, it's not that it's a bad movie. It's just not my type of movie, so I did struggle with it a bit. Well, you I mean, you I- enjoyed it, I guess. It did. Was
0: a kind of movie first of all that I don't think is really made by Hollywood anymore, but it's yeah. the kind of movie which completely transcends the genre, the storyline, the elements, the performances, the 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 elements that are supposed to sum up together to make a movie, this transcended all of that. And I'm sitting down there basically accepting the vision of the director. Um yeah. and it and I'm just like giving the storyline as if there is another subtext to the whole movie, which is, of course, that none of that was happening at all, and that he's mentally ill. Yeah, and I think we'll get, we'll definitely get to th- that later. Yeah. I think talking about the the mental illness, um, yeah. side of things. But I mean, the movie again. I think it's transcend it transcends all of that because.
1: Yeah. yeah. I do wonder sometimes. I like. I did wonder. Um, how different our views would be had we both watched it for the first time back in the 90s when it came out
0: um I would have hated it when I was younger I think oh my god I didn't think I really interacted with the movies in the same way I did now like where it's sort of challenging me and pulling me in so this movie like it it, it sort of drew me in it it's, it's so amazing like it was so, it was so amazing to watch and there were so many moments that I just did oh, you have a fa- actually happy. did you have a favorite moment or a favorite scene yeah, I think when the animals were released oh, the, cool. the wackiness of the animals yeah. being released at the end with the da-da-da, da-da-da, <laughs> the this tango music, yeah. the animals being oh released at the end. It's like I think the peak wackiness of that whole thing and the Amazing. surrealness of animals yeah. like marching around the marching around the the city was like oh that was definitely my favorite yeah. point of the movie. <laughs>
1: I really enjoyed the scene in the car when he wants her to play the music oh yeah it was so like it was really vulnerable and like heartbreaking there was just something about it where he was just he was like a kid yeah do you know he was like a child he was so excited by the ad as well and then confused that it wasn't an ad for him but then the song and he was just so happy and it was just like so innocent. it was all a bit oh yeah it really was it, that, that scene definitely got me so let's talk about the cast for a bit Um, Starting with Brad Pitt, you mentioned in the introduction, the spectacular performance. Did you know that he wasn't actually a huge star when they signed him and that it was only during filming that Legends of the Fall and Interview of the Vampire came out? So by the time they were putting this movie together, he was then suddenly hugely famous. Yeah. They were like, oh, okay, cool. Oh, they
0: took a real gamble with, with Brad Philly unknown yeah. brad pitt <laughs> no i love that yeah
1: <laughs> he there's a lovely little interview with terry gilliam where he says that like he was super hesitant originally to give him the role but that by the end of shooting like he's quoted then as saying i can't say that i directed him i just put him in the right place with the right people and he worked his ass off i just thought that was a nice little tribute to an actor
0: yeah sometimes i feel like with brad pitt that you can see the brushstrokes if you know what i mean like um there's a lot of movies where you can really see him trying and I was really mm. worried that I was gonna see that here, like that he's just, you're gonna see him mm. trying too hard, and it's gonna feel awkward. And I feel like that often with Brad Pitt, but I did not experience that. Like I, I was. He, he, he first of all, he moved so quickly; it didn't really give me yes. much time to think about it. But no, 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 I didn't feel like he was being mocking. I didn't feel like mm. he was being ironic. I, I just felt like he's he was crazy, and he was he he just flowed. So it was like actually choreography.
1: Well, it's interesting that you say that because I wrote down to check if it had been made into a musical because of those scenes. Because, like, I mean, my background is i worked in musical theatre for many years mm. and it just immediately, those couple of scenes, I was just like, this feels like a musical number. It feels like he's about to burst into song and perform a musical number at this moment in time. It's really interesting. No, he was awesome. But And then the contrast between him and Bruce Willis's character then being yeah. just...
0: I actually loved that on that note, the way Bruce Willis was like not bothered at all because he was so stuck in trying to figure out what the fuck was going on (laughs) that he didn't seem to like care or notice what Brad Pitt was saying. Oh my God, I loved it. I love when the camera's kind of on Bruce Willis's face and he's kind of talking to himself and they're kind of half having a conversation, not having a conversation. They're on like two completely different planes of reality, I would say, conversing with each other, not understanding what each other's saying at all. Except we find out later that Brad Pitt was kind of taking him quite seriously, yeah. actually. <laughs> Listening oh, quite carefully. God. Oh my God.
1: Yeah. I just remembered. Did you... I've got two things to say about Bruce Willis. Firstly, I just want to say, like, do you think he's just looked the same for the last 30 years? Yeah, obviously. Like, it's him and Paul Rudd. Like, they're just from a different stock, the two of them. They're just like, what? what is going on here? I'm so confused. What is this genetics? But, um... Did you did you see the line um that he has a line in the movie, All I see are dead people.
0: Oh my god, isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah. It's like foreshadowing. <laughs> it's yeah. Like weirdly foreshadowing. We talking about
1: Brad Pitt and Bruce Willis. yeah. There is there is somebody else in this movie. There is a woman.
0: Oh yeah. Madeline Stowe oh, is in I'm sorry. this
1: movie. She has equal billing to Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt. She's yeah. arguably the thread that pulls the story together and leads it to its ultimate conclusion.
0: Yeah. Did
1: you enjoy like her character? Did you enjoy the,
0: the, the I mean, I want to say the women in the movie. Were there women in the movie? Well, I think her performance is amazing. Like All three of them mm. are amazing. She's amazing, but it's definitely the weakest link of, the, the romance is the weakest thread of the whole movie because I didn't see it coming. And and again we'll talk we can talk about it a bit a bit later, but I think like the role of her in the movie to put a woman in there and to have to make her be of romantic interest is yeah, it's mm. definitely uh, something which we don't see as much anymore. But it's funny we're watching so many movies, Abby, one after the other, and mm. it's like I can't help it. Like it's overwhelming to me. What is going on with women in movies again and again yeah. and again and again. And you watch so many movies in the nineties. I'm like, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> it's starting. To, yeah. Like, I'm like, I never really had it one in front of the other, like one after the other, after the other, like in front of me, like this is where I start to go like, wow, women are just there for, for men to look at in the movies. Like it, mm. they put the one female character and they make her behave in a way that makes no sense. Um, for a professional like that, and uh, I don't yeah. know, like it's it's overwhelming to me watching the way women are represented in movies. It really
1: is. It really is. Well, I'm sure we're going to talk about um, Madeline Stowe a little bit more later in terms of her character. Uh, in when we're looking at the science side of things. So for now, let's just before actually, just before we move on to trips, can I just mention David Morse? He's the oh, actor yeah. who played Dr. Peters, the guy yeah, who was yeah. out to destroy the world. I just want to bring him up because it's kind of like similar to your um, James Redhorn thing. I feel like he's one of those actors who just, he always pops up and I just think we should know his name. So David Morse. David Morse. That yeah. is
0: all. Oh, there's another, first of all, Christopher Plummer is here as well, but there's another oh, yeah. um, There's another person in here. Christopher oh. Maloney. Christopher Maloney. Elliot Stabler from yes! and Order. Oh my God, I forgot. Oh God. It was so How exciting when he turned up. I he was so young, such were a you, baby. You were Benson and Stabler, Nutter?
1: Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. I for years. Oh yeah. I stopped eventually, but like, yeah, I definitely watched it for quite a while. <laughs> uh, if we can, you get the Law and Order music and play it.
0: gun, 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 gun. Gun, gun. Ah, can we just gung. have that? Can we
1: have that as our in between segments?
0: Gong, <laughs> gong. Yeah, no, freaking love it.
1: So, (laughs) speaking of the guy who was out to kill us all, um, on the surface, this movie is a science fiction set in a dystopian future where a virus has ravaged the planet. Scientists are searching for a cure, and in order to get a pure sample of the virus, they use time travel to find the people who released it on the world. That's a fair assessment of the the kind of general idea of the movie, right?
0: Mm, Yeah, on its face.
1: But if we peel back the surface a little bit and look at what maybe some of the intentions were from Terry Gilliam, there is a little bit more detail in there. Did you come across this yourself to look beyond the sci-fi aspect and focus a little bit more on perceptions of the world?
0: I think this movie is very much about how we perceive reality. She actually oh, states yes. the theme, psychiatry is a new religion. We decide he's crazy. We make a decision about who's crazy and who isn't crazy based on this sort of agreement between us about what, what reality is or what the status quo is. And he mentions as well, germs, oh. Um, people used to think that whoever believed in germs was crazy. And yeah. it's just all waiting for a paradigm shift to happen and those people are no longer crazy. Yeah. So I think that's that's really what the movie is about. Do you agree with that?
1: Yes, that's interesting. I like that you said about the germs thing because I actually, um, I think it's. I I don't want to get this wrong, but I think it's the story of Doctor Lister. Um, he, it's yeah. There was I I listened to a podcast all about him once where the guy who. The doctor who one day just kind of went, hey, I think the patients are getting sick because there might be germs on our hands. We should wash our hands. Yeah. And all the other doctors went, you're crazy. Don't be so stupid. Look at this idiot (laughs) over here. You're crazy. What? So he started washing his hands and washing his instruments and his patients stopped dying. (laughs) But people still were like, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. It took so long. (laughs) So, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, so yeah. I, just, I just loved that little bit. I loved that line when it came into the movie because I was like, hey, hey, I know that. I know that.
0: I know what that is. It's about. true. It's, it's totally true. true. But, that uh, is crazy. But yeah,
1: I do. I do think like I, I found it interesting because it was like that our own perception of the world is dependent on the information that we receive and how we process it. And I just found that I don't think it could be more relevant to not only like our society today of like fake news and clickbait media but to our current situation of a, go- a like a global pandemic and like the distribution of misinformation it just yeah. felt like it really resonated with me in that kind of idea of how do you how do you filter through and find what's real yeah. and you know there are definitely times in life i find where i just go like am i actually just going crazy because How, like I read something in the media or I see something and I just go like, how is that even happening right now?
0: Even a step further that all of our Facebook feeds or our YouTube feeds use an algorithm that picks Mm. things that we want to see. So we create a reality by continuing to click on the things we want (sighs) to click on. It continues to feed us things that are in line with what we want to see or what we want to be, you know, a representative. Representative of reality. So actually, in our own devices, yeah. looking at our own devices, especially now we're stuck in our own homes and we can't even interact oh with the outside. God. Well, we very much get a version of reality that we want, and then we yeah. call other people crazy, and they call us yeah. crazy, and we all just call each other crazy because oh no, this is my reality. why well, this is my reality, and you go like, oh my God, how can somebody have such a different version of reality than me? Like that's so crazy, but. Like this movie makes so much sense. Yeah. On so many levels. It's so relevant to today. So relevant. Yeah. It really yeah, the, is. Oh, I can't wait, I, I can't wait yeah. to get into this more later on in this yeah. episode, but we're really <laughs> going to get stuck into this about why right, it's well, so relevant today.
1: Okay. Well, then, so we'll uh, let's move on to our first segment of the day our trope of the week.
0: Yay. Frida, what hit your trope chords in this movie? Um, it was so hard to come up with a trope because um, it's a Terry Gilliam film. It's not going to be riddled with tropes, you know. Mm. So I had to think long and hard, and I got real meta about it. My trope of the week oh, okay. is my trope of the week is when a handsome actor or actress becomes a bit deformed for a movie, and then they get an Academy Award nomination. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, and then they oh get an Academy, and then they get an Academy Award nomination. <laughs> <laughs> That's my trope. <laughs> because oh, Brad God. Pitt has a fake eye and he he's crazy. <laughs> and then he w- gets nominated for an Academy Award. Can I just name a few more? Hello, Charlize Theron. Yeah, it's like a fake. What well, she oh, get a fake? Too, yeah. And then she, gets, she wins it. Nicole Kim and fake nose wins it. <laughs> So when beautiful people uglify themselves by like the smallest amount and then go, oh, I totally can't believe it's me. Can you believe it's me? Oh, my God. I'm so different. And then they get an Oscar. So that was my trip of the week. I was really, really scraping the bottom of the barrel. On this one. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I came up with. Okay. Whew. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have a googly eye. Oh, my. God. <laughs> Can you believe it? we someone reiterate though, we do
1: think he was great in the movie
0: <laughs> oh, I know, but it's just so amazing that someone yeah. so good looking can like uglify themselves that much, like wow it's such an amazing actor, I can uglify himself like wow for me it's so easy to be ugly, I'm just a normal human, but like for Brad Pitt like what an actor <laughs> uh-huh. he's so willing to uglify himself, willing to be ugly What well, oh so brave so brave, brave. give him so an Oscar brave um what all was right. your trope <laughs> okay my trope
1: <laughs> yeah. my trope was a bit yeah I, I mean I did struggle as well like you said it's not a massively tropy movie um in a traditional sense but there's definitely one element to me all right that I was just a bit kind of like ugh. it's the um that kind of the classic time travel proof you know you tell someone something like innocuous from the future in order for them to believe you yeah. and then it happens and they're like oh my god you're telling the truth you time traveled <laughs> and it was like it was the boy stuck in the well so yeah I'm calling it my stuck in the well um, so the boy is stuck in the well and he's like oh no well he's true. just hiding in a barn and I just I loved that that was all it took you know it was like oh the boy wasn't really he's telling the truth how could he possibly know <laughs> And
0: it's like he's probably I just don't think somewhere. time
1: travel would be like the first <laughs> thought that you would go to especially as like a you know a trained psychiatrist you might be thinking I, I feel like she would be more likely to believe he was psychic than he time traveled so I was just like for yeah. you know, really, me, that's the thing just this kind of you know idea of like and it's always something like that it's always something on the radio or like oh in in a minute he's going to say this and then he's going to do that and then the people are like oh 100% oh, a time traveler. <laughs> yeah but one I was plus like,
0: one equals time travel yeah, there's just this one thing. It was one thing. He, <laughs> he said, said he was going to be in a barn, thing. and he was in a barn. Yeah. Oh at, God, I, I at that point in the movie, he is no longer thinks he's a time traveler. He's like, I'm, I'm done thinking I'm a time traveler. I'm obviously crazy. And she's like, No, you're not crazy. You're a time traveler. You, you said was going to be in, in, the a barn. Barn and he in a barn. You wasn't a barn.
1: So let's get into the science aspect of the movie, shall we? There's two real, like, environments of science depicted throughout. There's, like, the futuristic lab with the bank of dystopian-looking scientists set in 2035. Um, And then there's the 1990 mental institution with the patients on the wards and some of the behind-closed-doors meetings with the all-white male doctors calming their emotional female colleague. Where would you like to start with
0: this? I think we'll talk... First, we'll talk about the sort of less the less interesting one, which is the where you left off, which is the psychiatrists yeah. taking place in 1919, 1996. Um, the psychiatric institution and the decision-making boards and all these sorts of things. Yeah, I guess we can talk about that first. Um, yeah. I don't know. Something I really loved about them was that um, when he comes in there and he's in front of the board. Um, and uh, by the way, I really liked that there was no like – Undo cruelty or sadism from the guards or yes from, yeah I there really was like one that.
1: guy that i was like i don't the like guard
0: you. bit threatening yeah, i
1: don't like you yeah but i liked that they were like you know it was like i need to make a phone call and they were like okay make make your phone call yeah do you know yeah. we didn't have to sit through that like the, the movie wasn't this whole thing about him being stuck in the institution and not able to make the phone call it was very kind of it made it yeah. feel a little bit more realistic to what those types of environments must be
0: yeah, they weren't being like a cruel, um, and yeah. similarly, the psychiatric institution—it wasn't this bedlam, yeah—that you see in a lot of movies. It would look like it was just underfunded. And
1: do yeah. you think those meetings, like those board meetings, things where they're having with her, is that like patient review meetings kind of vibe, probably?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, re- I, I'm not, I'm not exposed to that kind of thing in real life, so I, I really have no idea. But yeah, yeah, it felt quite it was,
1: realistic
0: though. Yeah none but of it then felt like had... undo.
1: Yeah. But then it was obviously an obvious setup to contrast with the 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 futuristic environment. <laughs> oh my
0: god. Oh, so good. <laughs> it's so I've so got so good.
1: So can I can I say about like just in terms of the set decoration, right? Because it was yeah. a really because in this in the documentary that I mentioned earlier that I was watching, Um, Because they were working on such a small budget, they used like old power plants and like decaying buildings and (laughs) they actually ended up working the script around the things and the areas that they found because they were just like, let's just use what we can. And there's an interview with this guy who's um, his name is Crispian Salas and he's the set director. And he talks um. about like scavenging for objects to use like from scrap metal and anything he could come across at a flea market. And that just gave me such nostalgia I felt it so hard Because I spent nine years working in theatre And like the amount of times And shows where I would have to go out Prop hunting on a budget
0: And you're just
1: going You're like everywhere You're down in the scrapyard Trying to grab stuff And you're like I can make something out of this Or you're at all these little markets Just trying to like Is there any chance you have a bowl That looks like it's from 1955? (laughs) It's just like it's Oh, it's an intense thing to do. So I just, I really felt that. And I just wanted to just give a little shout out to the set decorator, Crispy and Uh, Salas. Because I feel you, man. I feel you.
0: And it actually is in line with the fact that the humans have like cobbled together scientific research when they're like, after they've gone underground, they're like reviving Mm. scientific research. So everything is kind of like stuck together with sticky tape. Yeah. That's the sense that I got. And I love how it like doesn't quite work yeah you know it's kind of shit yeah i thought it was awesome just
1: a little bit shit
0: all just a little bit shit yeah oh, and great. the more i think about it the more it's obvious that he's in a delusion because of how much the board of scientists is like a reflection of the board of psychiatrists it reminds me a lot mm. of like other movies when someone is like disappearing from their reality into a fantasy and things yeah. mirror like a pan's labyrinth, the more I think about it, the more I feel like it's really obvious to me that he's in a delusion because <clears throat> when you first meet the scientist, and they're in this sort of creepy like line interviewing yeah. him on this chair and I think like what kind of scientists, where does this happen in science where he's being questioned by these like crazy steampunk scientists and then when you see the board and the institution questioning him, It's so obvious that it's a reflection of that. That's Um, so
1: weird that you say that because I wrote down the question. Do you think that they made the future one seem a bit mad to make the audience question if he was time traveling or if he was mad? Because they all seem bonkers.
0: They were so bonkers. It was so awesome. (laughs) God, There was this bit... Where they go from face to face and they're all wearing different colored tinted glasses. Oh, no, no, I didn't pick that at all. Oh my God. When they're like each going from one face to the other, and they're like, oh tell gosh. us. And and they have different tints in their glasses. But again, same thing is that they weren't overly cruel to him.
1: I suppose like it's that idea. Did you say it earlier in the episode or did I fucking hear this somewhere Imagine else? Imagine it in kind a dream of, yeah this is the thing it's tripping my mind so much now just about the idea that like um the scientists they're a bit kooky but then they've also been underground for like 40 mm-hmm. years and and living through this whole thing and so they're going to be a bit kooky because you know, I know. their whole experience is this in this new kind of idea of trying to trying to advance science and come up with this cure for something from underground with nothing but pre-1990s technology yeah like
0: what i hope i hope if this virus drives us underground why would it um that we revive science something like that um and then the contrast then
1: from those guys on the board to the like we said the the contrast from the The institution, the two different institutions and then the two different boards of doctors and specialists and stuff. But then our main scientist being the one that we really, the only one we really spend time with being Catherine Riley. And we get like just the glimpses of the futuristic scientists and her male colleagues. But like, I'm sure you've got some thoughts on Catherine's depiction as a scientist her abilities as a scientist. I've got some thoughts on that board meeting um, discussion with the with the colleagues.
0: I'm sure she's like a really good psychiatrist and everything, but
1: just because, yeah in that in that scene, they they've got these lines and as well where they're like, you're under tremendous emotional stress, and mm. they're like, you're you're being defensive. Isn't she being defensive? And it's but it's hard to root for her in that moment because it's like. You're acting crazy, girl.
0: (laughs) We can't root for her. How can we root for her? She's making a terrible decision. I actually found an academic um, paper about what we learn about a mental illness or psychiatry from movies. And it does talk about this trope of... This is why I didn't bring this up as a trope, actually, because I have Mm -hmm. it here. I wanted to talk about it in this section, um, which is that in the real world, it says in this paper... And we'll put the, in the episode notes, we'll put the link. Psychiatrists are rarely involved in a romantic relationship with their patients. This is extremely rare and it's an unethical phenomenon that has been depicted in many films. Mm -hmm. So we're female therapists and it cites one of these movies, right? Um, You know, where you have a lady doctor and a patient that leads uh, to a relationship. And the female yeah. therapists violate the boundaries of a doctor-patient reality. So it's fascinating, but it really gives the wrong message about the inter- integrity of certain doctors. It doesn't happen in real life. It's not something that happens. But in the in the I movie, like land, it's, suddenly, you're supposed to think that it happens all the time.
1: Well, because it's I feel like it feeds into this idea that like women always want to fix men.
0: Whew. Do you know, he's a
1: broken man, and so she she needs to fix yeah. him, and she falls in love
0: with his vulnerability yeah it's only because he's hot though if he wasn't hot she wouldn't Mm, is he though excuse me if he wasn't hot we wouldn't have a story
1: oh yeah well it's because there has to be a love story and how do we get the love story in so she can't be the time traveller like that has to be Bruce Willis so Where else is the love story going to come? Uh, and the connection is going to come right. through the psychiatrist. So, so it's the it's, female oh. carer and minder. And she's there to yeah. help him and guide him. And through that connection. And she yeah. realizes that, you oh know, God.
0: either You're he's so right, right or she's
1: crazy too. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, she starts to bond with him because she wants to help him figure it out. And that's so true. Yeah. It's like they're writing the whole idea of like, oh, she's a woman. She wants to fix the man. She wants to help him. She's a nurturer. But in fact, I'm sure, like, uh, she would have just been terrified. And, and um, yeah. actually, this is related to my what the fuck. So I'm going to stop right there. Okay. Right so there, shall we Abby.
1: bring the conversation into the actual science bit then?
0: Oh, yeah. But, uh, oh, 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 no, no, yeah. no. I have no. one thing about the environmental okay. science that I want to talk about. Go. Because they They have very small amount of um, screen time to the virology lab. Mm -hmm. Where the viruses they're dealing with are airborne. And he's wearing like a suit. And the guy's wearing like a jacket. There's no PPE. No PPE, Abby. None. It's the PPE trap. They're just hanging out. He's like, hello, I'm just in my lab. We need the airborne viruses. And yet there's no PPE.
1: It's a theme. It's a theme with movies. PP interrupts with costume design. they? Yeah. Anyway, that's all. So, yeah. All right. Okay. Now we shall bring the conversation into the science. Okay. Um, but what science are we actually talking about? There's mention of a global plague. There's mm-hmm. the action of time travel. But neither of these are really explained or really discussed the main aspect of the movie is like a psychological one the science in action is related to her role as a psychiatrist and her conflict of wanting to help him but also feeling a gut instinct of some sort that he (laughs) might be telling the truth so I don't know that we had a big scientific explanation at any point in the movie but Mm. there was definitely some some uh, bits and pieces here and there so where would you like to begin what was the what really what would you like to tell us about this movie Scientifically.
0: There's a few things in here, and I really wanted to talk about like, mental illness and the way that movies need to address mental illness. Mm. Um, because... Um, if you're going to take the route of that this is a psychotic break and this is all delusion, um, I did read that a psychotic break is, is is a little bit like the collapse of the space-time continuum because you oscillate between sanity and insanity and it's kind of like traveling through different dimensions. Like you're traveling to different mm. places. Um, and I think what he experiences is that, let's just say, the argue that he's had such a severe episode and his mind is just collapsing into itself, and his imagination has just concocted this entire thing where he's at the center of all of it um mm. and then it becomes that becomes overwhelming to him, God the time travelling going back and forth, and the whole thing becomes so overwhelming that he starts to then talk about oh, no no, no, I understand now, I'm divergent i know, but even actually it's funny because he thinks he's crazy, and then he goes, "You're not here," and then the time travelers the the scientists from the future kind of convince him. That they are real, and then and that's when he goes back and says, "I understand. I'm divergent." He borrows that phrase. Mm-hmm. So, what what did you think? What did you think that I means? Think,
1: I think now, just from what you were saying there as well, I think what I understand it to be is that he recognizes that he is that he is having some sort of a break, and that he is creating these alternate realities and places um, with these other people. That that's what his mind is doing and his mind is diverging and and making him believe he's in two places in two different times um, and that he believes it, but that because he believes he's there, he also has to buy into the delusion so that's why he had to convince the scientists that he was okay and convince them to send him back because he couldn't do it himself so then they send him back and once he gets to her he's like okay i know i'm crazy i know that that's not real i know that they're not there but i'm back now and i know what i need to do to keep me here so that i don't have to go back there Yeah,
0: and then she goes and convinces him that he's in fact not crazy
1: yeah yeah so yeah no that that kind of comes together a bit more for me now actually
0: didn't you get the sense that he's becoming he was so this is the thing about his performance that was so moving to me that he was exhausted from it yeah he was broken and exhausted from 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 being that crazy and from like he he was easier he just wanted to accept that it's crazy and it isn't real than having to go through this time traveling thing but yeah the idea that a psychotic break does feel like you are oscillating between dimensions and different worlds. That's what the experience is mm. like, different realities. I mean, it must be exhausting. It's devastating. But but then there's something really amazing that I was reading about in regards to mental illness on film, right? Right. Because all of that, what I was just explaining, and the way that is set up in a movie, what it does for us viewers is put us on the side of the crazy person who's ostensibly Mm -hmm. the crazy person. It sets up that they are um, the Messiah. He's a hero. He's the center of it. And that's how we're introduced to him immediately. Only then to maybe be considering that he's crazy. Because I think that in a lot of movies, the mentally ill person has to either be a villain or a hero. It's very rare that you just have someone who's, just he's just mentally ill and i think brad mm. pitt is a really really good example of that like he's in the villain he isn't a hero he's he is just someone who is yeah who is a lunatic but there are i think that the whole idea that um, a mentally ill character has to have this alternate representation where he is a hero is actually done it's a screenwriting technique so that we can sympathize with the crazy person mm and I would go so far as to say we kind of experienced that f- uh, four weeks ago with Altered States, that he's crazy, he's not crazy, but he's set up to us as the hero of the movie, as the person who has found the answers to life, and we're siding with him, we're siding with him. We don't really want to accept that he's crazy, and we might have to accept that he's crazy by the end of it, but this is just a mechanism to get us to side with him. I felt, mm. I thought that was, like, really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Do it's... you think that's interesting? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I just I found it very um You see for me though, because I feel like you read quite a lot of the um the idea that he that this is a delusion and that then it's a shared delusion, whereas I just believed it. I thought <laughs> like, he's time traveler.
0: Have you seen the movie The Witch? It was like maybe three years ago? No. Yeah, it's a horror film, kind of I guess, but it's about a, it's about um mm-hmm. It's about a family, a Puritan family sent away because they're too radical and like they're the edge of edge of the woods and there's a witch terrorizing them and you watch the movie and for me I'm like clearly there's no witch. Why? Because there's no such thing as witches. (laughs) So that was very obvious to me the whole time I watched the movie. (laughs) they believe there's a witch because back in the day people believed in witches so they believe there's a witch there's no witch because there's no such thing as witches and like that is kind of how I always watch movies which is why I really struggle with fantasy genre because I'm like I
1: can't <gasps> uh, whereas <laughs> I love fun. I love fantasy I love it because I love the idea that there's no rules here Right. Huh. like it's not <laughs> my nightmare like, no that's the thing I'm like this is cool there's no yeah. um this doesn't follow the line of the idea of a realistic story or like this doesn't follow along with what we realistically see in the world. So that yeah. anything can happen. So I'm down for that. I'm, show me. Show me anything. I'm ready. Show me Let's time go.
0: travel. Yeah. yeah. Which is the whole idea of time travel. So I watch time travel and I go, it's obviously impossible. You know, uh, so what's being shown? Mental illness probably, you know. But it, speaking of, like, this, I guess, from your point of view and from most people's point of view, probably, it's a movie about time travel, right?
1: So you are saying you do not believe that time travel is possible?
0: Well, it's just, do you know, I, mean, I, I, I know started I'm, to read... I'm, I'm, I, I'm a scientist saying so no that time travel isn't possible. Don't worry, I'm not saying well, that I think it is. the thing is... is... Well the thing is there are so many scientists that that do theorize about this and so like mm. I did read into time travel I think time travel the most interesting way for me to talk about time travel is in the context of storytelling and filmmaking especially mm. of how it's used to tell stories like that's when I, I that's when I'm like in the context of that I, I find it much easier to talk about time travel so and I think mm. a lot of movies really struggle to solve what's known as the time travel paradox. There are a few paradoxes about time travel. Yeah. The most famous one being you're going back in time to kill your father, to kill your grandfather, the grandfather paradox. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you go back in time and kill your grandfather, then how did, how did you exist? But that, that paradox is not in this movie, but there are other time travel paradoxes mm. in this movie. However, what I think this movie took This movie took a a perspective on time travel, which is that you cannot change the future. It's rigid. And the characters were not there to change the future. They were there to go back in time, get some information Mm. and take it to the future so that they could work on a cure for the future. And I find that, that, that perspective of time travel to be much more palatable. But unwittingly well, yeah, it, But they do sort of tempt you with the fact that he unwittingly did cause the whole thing, which that there was yeah. a red herring in the end, right? That he he caused mm. it. That would have been a causal loop. A causal loop yeah. paradox, whatever it's called, where you, you see you travel to you be other back in time, cause something to happen. Yeah.
1: To me that makes it a lot does make it a lot more realistic because yeah, you can't you can't come back in time and change the past Because if you change the past Then you never created the future that existed In order for you to create the ability to go back in time And the need to go back in time to change the past So yeah. you can never do that Yes, um, it's called
0: The causal paradox
1: But yeah, I just I But in terms of this I really did enjoy that aspect of it I really did enjoy that aspect of it Because it really did feel to me kind of like Well yeah, of course they're not going to Go back and try to stop it They can't stop it Like Mm. They wouldn't exist themselves to have this idea if they stopped it. So, yeah. All right. Awesome. I liked the way they were doing it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. To me, it's the easiest way to incorporate time travel into a story is Mm. to say is to suggest that you can't change it because then you don't have to deal with that paradox. So what? Which are explaining. I've I've got a really good example of a causal loop of of the causal paradox, right? Okay, so for example, let's just say in the year 3000, Sir lot sees a mathematical proof in a textbook and travels back in time to the person that invented the mathematical proof, so Abby, Abby's mathematical proof, and shows it to you, and that's how you know it, and then you come up with a mathematical proof only because Sir... <laughs> Ig knows a lot. Came back in time. I have to, <laughs> I have to do this again. <laughs> it just came to my head. I've <laughs> been Oh, my God. I'm just starting again. Okay, okay, okay. In the year 2100, somebody finds a mathematical proof in a textbook written by, you know, Abby. So it's Abby's Proof and travels back in time and shows it to you as you're trying to figure it out. So that's where you got the proof from was the time traveler. Mm. And so you put it down in the textbook and it stays in the textbook until 2100 when the person sees it and travels back in time. The question is, where did the proof come from? That's yes. a causal loop. That's that's the paradox. So this one does make the suggestion that there is a causal loop here, but then they drops it, drops the suggestion. And Mm. says that actually what they did was just um, release a bunch of animals. And and so, in fact, he didn't change it at all. But that leads me to something. I know it's a safe storytelling thing. But that basically suggests that we have – it's like predestined, the future. That you can't change it. Why should the future be predestined? Why? Why can't you change it? Why is there something that's predestined? I guess because it's happened already because they're from the future
1: but i don't that, i don't know that it says that the future is predestined what it says is that you can't come back from that future and change it because that if you're coming back to. from that future then that future has already
0: occurred so therefore everything is predestined that in this timeline in this reality by the way that line where he says this isn't the past this isn't the future this is the present Best line of the movie. in So in the present, everything is predestined because someone has come back from the future. If someone never happened to come back from the future, will it still would it still be predestined? Why why do we have destiny? Where does destiny come from? God. You know what I mean. Mm. Like why, why can't you change it? You should be able to change it, and then of course you have the issue with the causal paradox, which you should be able to change it in my opinion in my opinion if you are a time traveler but, back from the future you should be able to change the past but, but i, I you know, suppose course, it's not
1: necessarily it's not necessarily about being about not being able to change the past it's about if you change the past then does that change if you go back and change the past so that the future that occurred that created you and your ability to go back in time and your need to go back in
0: time is gone, then you never went back in time to change the past. And then you disappear at that point. And that's how they know that it was a success. You vanish. There's a movie that does that actually, where everyone just like vanishes and like someone's foot disappears all this weird. Lupa actually does a kind of weird thing like that. Yeah, yeah I don't think it's solvable. I think the answer is like, okay, it's just there's no such thing yeah. as time travel. Well, <sighs> we're certainly not going to solve it. <laughs> Speaking of predestiny, and then we can go to the Cassandra, the Cassandra complex. Cassandra was someone who was gifted the, the gift of um, prophecy by some god, but then she like refused his sexual advances and blah blah blah. And so she he cursed her that no one would ever believe you. So she would forewarn things and no one ever ever believed her. So you acquire the label of Cassandra, who you keep warning of things. Um so linking into the idea of like why is the future predestined and the idea of having somebody warning us about the future and we us labeling them as crazy because in the movie we decide what's crazy or not crazy based on the reality I think that there's a really 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 strong can um I think there's a really strong analogy here to climate change right okay I think that What does it mean to have predestined calamity in our future, which a lot of people believe we have? We don't need time travels from the future to come and tell us. We have people constantly warning us and nobody believing them who are effectively Cassandra's. They warn of, like, impending disaster and everybody mocks them and nobody believes them, right? We're sort of facing that same situation of, like, this is foregone. Well, He's like, this is foregone. This is going to happen. There's nothing we can do about it. So that brought up the question for me of, like, is that true? Is it? Why should it be? I think it's because of our own, like, failings. As humans, that it's going to be like it's not predestined as such, it's predestined because of our inability to heed the warnings of the Cassandras and to label mm-hmm. them as Cassandras. So, I saw a, a, um, there's an environmentalist called Alan Atkinson, and he wrote in 1999 right? Um, so, to understand that humanity is on a collision course with the laws of nature is to be stuck in what he calls the Cassandra dilemma in which a person can see the most likely outcome of current trends and can warn people about what is happening, but the vast majority cannot or will not respond. And later, if the catastrophe occurs, they might even blame the person as if their predictions set the disaster in motion. Which is exactly what is suggested to happen in the movie, where he's warning everybody, he unwittingly puts it in place, and then they can say, you didn't forewarn, you just made it happen. Um, Right. Which is kind of what we're facing with now, um, yeah. That's
1: having- that's really yeah. Sorry, that's exactly what you just made me think when you said that uh, about the about the um, the people who are warning and nobody listens. It's like that whole situation. I, I think I heard it in a podcast as well about um, people's response. Uh, I think especially in the US, like the states and towns' responses to coronavirus, because they're like if we mm. respond too quickly so if we respond really quickly really promptly yeah. really well then everyone's yeah. like oh you caused a fuss and a panic for nothing because nothing happened yeah and if you don't respond quickly enough everyone's like oh but you didn't respond quick enough and you didn't do this and you didn't do that and it's like where's the you you will people will always have something to say about it they will always blame they will blame you for not responding and they will blame you for responding it's interesting <laughs>
0: Hundred percent. And I I had to just do some tribe travelling in my head and figure out episodes and how the episodes are lined up, but I'm pretty sure last week we did Dante's Peak and Volcano. <laughs> how funny yes. is this? Last week oh we last week the episode was released and this comes up as well. You don't want to warn people too early, you know? Yeah. But you want to avert calamity and how do you play the politics of that essentially? It's a political thing. And with the coronavirus that's a hundred percent what we saw. People were accusing um, uh, WHO first of overreacting and then underreacting later when their Mm. reality, basically perception of reality, they decided it changes. And isn't that true? Isn't that so? That like we sort of decide this is the reality that we're perceiving now and we judge everybody as crazy or not crazy according to that reality. And then it shifts and then it changes. It's insane. This movie is really, really relevant. And like there's these quotes which – very much remind us of sort of our general failings as a society of like seeing, well, I don't want to use the word truth, but, you know, we don't want to change the way we see things because we build so much around it and our un- unwillingness to change the way that we see things and we will walk into disaster. And it's like with Cassandra, it did happen when we'll just watch, we'll, we'll just watch helplessly and Cassandra watched helplessly when the soldiers emerge from the Trojan horse just, just as she predicted, just as she foresaw. Yeah, um, and we are forced to sort of watch help- helplessly as mm-hmm. as things happen. Um, and and the more the chorus of Cassandra's grows, and it grows and grows and grows. Well, all these warning, like the worse that's, the more people are going to be standing there watching helplessly. Wow. Yeah. What a chat. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah, hey. Good old it's, it's, our
1: first ever time travel. I, our first like ever
0: – yeah, time travel. I, and our first pandemic. Our first time travel and pandemic, and it's all bringing climate change in together. I don't think we've discussed climate change much together. Mm. It's kind no, of but... <laughs> Oh,
1: wait. Just wait.
0: Oh, no, really? <laughs> there's, one, <laughs> there's one other topic which is mildly less uh, horrible to talk okay. about than um, – Climate change, but they do bring up animal captivity and animal mm. experimentation in.
1: And it was a nice point in the movie. I did feel like it really did kinda of give me that vibe of like you expected the Brad at the at the start the Brad Pitt character is just this kind of like, you know, Jeffrey is this um kind of innocent manic person who's just a bit kinda of like, oh my god. And then when you meet him at the dinner You're like, oh, no, he is the bad guy. He's the villain. He's going to do all of this. And there was just something very sweet and innocent about it at the end that like, no, he's not. He's not the mad scientist releasing the plague. He just wants the animals to be free.
0: Yeah, he doesn't want animals to be locked up. Totally. Yeah.
1: It was just something very sweet that that's what the army of the 12 monkeys was like. They're like, it's it's about releasing, freeing from the cages because I guess, you know, he was spending his time in his cage. Do you know and yeah. it's like you know just because oh,
0: he was locked up Abby totally yeah. he was locked up and just because up.
1: you're not just because you don't conform to the rules of the society outside that you're put in a cage and so he was like resonated with the animals so that was cute
0: oh beautiful
1: so the army of the 12 monkeys released the animals from the zoo yes and the plague was not stopped <laughs> No. Nope. So moving from the end of our deep dive into the cinematic eyes of Terry Gilliam, let's move shall we move into everyone's favorite segment. Is it time?
0: Everyone's favorite segment. <laughs>
1: what the it's fuck? everyone's
0: favorite segment. Everyone's. Okay, mine. <laughs> let's play some music.
1: What the What the What the fuck. Right, here we go. Frida Oh, am I huh? first? No, yeah, no. Wait, let's go, let's go. Okay, so here we are. So, our what the fuck segment? Here we go, Frida. What the fuck?
0: What's your what the what fuck? the fuck? Oh my god, <gasps> it has to be. It has to be when Catherine and James Cole are in the car, and then he leaves the car to like freak out over the monkey sign, and she sits in the car and goes, "Should I stay or should I should go?" Like, ooh. <laughs> And stays. I went, oh, what the fuck? (laughs) It is bonkers. Uh, Bonkers. Bonkers. (laughs) Bonkers. Uh, No excuse. It is "Mm." so
1: weird. It's like, because it hasn't even really fully been established at that point that she has, like, a strong degree of sympathy towards him. Like, at that point, up until then, she, like, I I remember that because it was like. She's she was terrified. really
0: scared. She's crying. Drive away! not Just drive she's away. Insane. She's crying. How she's so terrified by him. I think maybe did. I'm not even. Shh, shh, shh. No, he's terrifying. He's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, that was my what the fuck. Um, it's Amazing. a serious what the fuck. It's a. It's a serious criticism (laughs) of a movie because i was gonna i was gonna talk about when the uh, a few other more wonkier things but that really was like (laughs) but um what was your what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) um
1: mine was i picked a moment where something happened and i just could not understand why it was happening so my what the fuck was he ate the fucking spider oh my god oh. what it- was happening i was like why is he so obsessed with this spider and then he's caught the spider and then he's i was like why is he hiding the spider is he actually crazy is he like belong in this place right now he's hiding the spider from jeffrey because he doesn't want jeffrey to know and then he fucking ate it and i was just like wait what
0: He's returning
1: because he, he, he has to bring it back to them. He's giving No, them well, then that's the thing. It gets explained later on. And then there's something like really vulnerable and sad about it. And he tries to explain that. He's like, oh, I found a spider, but I'd know where to put it. So I ate
0: it. So he it's ate like... it.
1: And then they're being like dicks because they're annoyed at him. And they're like blaming him for not doing a good job. So I was just, like, oh, fuck yourselves. But then like as they're putting him through the, the time thing again to go off back, there's this that one scientist in the background and he's like, Pity about the spider, Cole. Try to do something like that again. <laughs> it was like they were trying to give him one little bit of like reassurance. It was like, no, you did a good job trying you to eat it. You did a really good
0: job trying to eat it. That was good. That was a great idea. Yeah. But The point that I was going to pick was when he wakes up. Yeah, and the scientists are like singing to him. But I, I just yeah. I loved it. I loved how loony it's... they were. It was so it was... Oh, it was that visionary. scene
1: was so weird, and just the singing, and the we heard little, you like the songs. baby towel, <laughs> yes, little like bedspread with the bed. Oh my sides. god! Just like what? Great, <laughs> I really so enjoyed it. It was great. Um, we key? should put a shout out. Actually, we would love to our lovely our lovely listeners, our Sam's with a silent T out there. We'd love to hear your what the fuck moments. You should totally tag us on Instagram if you have any what the fuck yeah, moments from any of bezerd. these movies. Yeah. Um, Right. Final verdicts.
0: Oh. Question number one is just lol. <laughs> what's the what's the thing? Bechdel? Tip. Did the God movie pass us. the
1: Bechdel test, Frida?
0: It's a lol. I it it, it, it not only doesn't pass it. <clears throat> it's really affecting me, Appy. Like I can't watch movies anymore I because I get so I'm just so caught up and like I know that this is a movie. A pod, I know. I know that this is a podcast about science, but as I'm like revisiting movies more critically, and as oh, a female, uh, I just, I just, I just, I just, it just like it's like I just can't handle it. Like what I'm now <laughs> noticing about so many movies, and um, is it like every single movie apart from Annihilation? <laughs> Is that it? Is that just what else?
1: The- yeah. No well there's a couple that we have said passed it, but just because there was like a sentence between two people. Yeah. And just, just
0: because there were literally only two people.
1: Yeah. You know? But there's definitely um yeah, I wonder do we need to maybe do more work in the movie choices? But then it's hard because like we have get- to find the movies and you know, I don't want to just look at the a list. I mean, there is a Bechdel test list out there you can check. Um, well, we can do. There are and, a
0: couple that we have to do, and we will do. We will do. Um, yeah, you know, obvious ones, I guess. Yeah, but
1: it's just, it's just a thing. It's a thing that has happened for many, many years. People are aware of it yeah. now, so more of an yeah. effort is being put in. Um, it's life. We are aware. It's life. Yeah, we're but aware. Just yeah. So and uh, you know, it's it's it's. Upsetting for every time we do this, <laughs> just have to say no. It did not pass the Bechdel test, but no, it did not. No, it did not pass the Bechdel test. So, yeah, but did it pass the? Here comes the science bit. Well, I mean, we didn't have the, we didn't really have the here comes the science bit in yeah. this movie, so I guess it did pass in that respect because we didn't get the stupid big explanation. But the science itself for you,
0: um, yeah, like I think, d- yeah, definitely, definitely, because, yeah. um, firstly, if you are going to take the time travel perspective then i think the fact that it had like a closed um approach to it that we mm. don't change the future we just go in to get a sample and come back like i think there's no causal paradox and we feel like if you're mm. gonna tell me uh, something about time travel but then of course if you look at it like a delusion which um you know i i do you think it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> um then doesn't you know? Obviously, it doesn't matter because we're talking mm-hmm. about the fact that he's, he's concocting something in order to cope with his you know his psychosis, psychotic break, yeah. or whatever he's experiencing is unclear. Um, and so, from that point of view, sure.
1: yeah, that's fair. Why not, baby? <laughs> yeah, I think I think I agree with you. I think it was um, I think I think it was done quite well. The you know the the actions of Catherine as a scientist herself was not where I would be going with the idea of it, but the science itself was pretty all right. Uh, yep. Final verdicts. Do you want to give it some monkeys
0: out of five? I'll give it <laughs> 12 monkeys. I'll give it four and a half out of five. Ooh, that's a big just, number, man. Yeah, it is. I mean, <laughs> this movie's amazing. It's it's such an amazing <laughs> movie, and I want more movies like it, although I won't I won't make you watch them, but I, I just think the half a star for me is lost because... There's a bit like there's some plot problems with the like Catherine having memories yeah. of her future. What does that say? And also just her decisions and her representation as a psychiatrist falling in love with a hot patient. It's it's inappropriate and um, you know, it's not fair to psychiatry. <laughs> <laughs> What's
1: your verdict? Um, I am gonna go with three and a half monkeys, three
0: point
1: five. <laughs> okay, that's actually um, a big big score. Yeah, yeah no, like I said, I'm uh, like it's really important to me. I think probably just because because of spending so many years in theater. It's it's really important to me that when we talk about movies, we it's not just about whether you like it or not. You know, you okay. you, you don't just shit on a movie just because it's not your type of a movie. There was still a huge amount of people that went to work, you know? They went in, they did their job. They designed sets, they freaking yep. Came up with soundscapes. They, like, you know, Brad Pitt worked with doctors and watched videos of manic patients. And, you know, you've got cinematographers and freaking people who just get coffee. Like, there's enough people are there trying to make something good that just because it's not my type of movie, I'm never going to say it's a bad movie. I will always try, I would always like us to try to find something positive, even in the really crap ones. Yeah. FYI next week. Oh, no. Um, But. Yeah so I do think like 3.5 because it's a good movie and it just loses yeah. the stars for me the monkeys for me just because it's just not my type of movie so and for me yeah. it's about how a movie makes you feel and because it's not my type of movie it didn't make me feel the way I want to feel watching a movie and if it, if I yeah. that's probably the reason why I've never watched it because it's never been something that's um, yeah. really kind of sang to me but I'm glad I watched it I am happy I watched it. I'm happy that I know it now and I can see the value in it. So, yeah, I think that's it.
0: Yeah. Well, I had the movie choice this week. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to do something which is like fairly well known that I never saw before, something that's a lot more of a success, um something with some serious some some seriously serious issues that it deals with and that we took pretty seriously considering. Um, but Abby It is your choice to pick the movie for our next episode in two weeks. What are you choosing? I'm hiding. Oh. Because I'm scared. Okay. Because I've picked. Is it not serious?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was trying to be serious? I don't know. I have picked a blockbuster disaster movie that's gonna really do some hard work tackling the traumas issues. of climate change <laughs> giving you a climate change movie but don't worry because jared butler gonna fix it we are doing geostorm
0: i just have to quickly <laughs> I have to quickly we've had a this.
1: couple of We've had a couple of serious movies in a row now, so we we just need to, I feel like Storm. we need to, you
0: Google. know, we've
1: had a, we've had a few serious movies, this. we're going to bring something that was made a little bit more recently, it's only a couple of years old.
0: Oh my god, I'm so excited, 16% <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes, this is going to be amazing, 16%, it's basically zero, I'm so excited. you'll
1: find out why. Someone Soon to enough. laugh at.
0: I can't wait. Yeah,
1: no, we're going to have
0: fun with this one. We're definitely going to have fun with this it's one. I gonna think be you're really going to enjoy it. Comic relief. <laughs> yeah. Comic <laughs> relief. Oh, I really am very excited. Oh, my God, that's exciting. Okay. And don't forget to catch, I yeah. think, the last of our miniseries next week before that episode. Should oh, be, yes. Yeah, and it will be, what's the last one of our miniseries?
1: Well, I mean, it keeps us on the theme of climate change issues with our 90s disaster movies, right? But this one is a different yeah. one. So oh, uh, that yeah. is true.
0: So book ending yeah. oh my god did you did you do that on purpose bookend our 90s <laughs> with independence day and geostorm yeah. did you do that on purpose did you do on purpose? it wasn't you? on
1: purpose it wasn't on purpose
0: okay i'm well, sorry we're gonna have a 90s disaster fest followed by geostorm <coughs> catch us next week mm. for close us um, off with titanic for titanic yeah. Gross. <laughs> and then in two weeks for geostorm, and then in two weeks for geostorm so mm. if you'd like to join yeah. us please do yeah um,
1: join us in two weeks uh, give us a rating if you have some time that would be awesome and subscribe to the podcast wherever your chosen player is thank you for listening and if you would like to get in contact you can email us on science at the at gmail.com or you can catch us on instagram at science at the science.
0: Thank thanks for listening that was definitely a more serious episode for sure